And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your phones, in fact, if you've got your phones, put them on airport mode, please, and, uh, and uh, go ahead and go online to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to talk today, we're in this series called The Power of Personal Choices. We're talking about praying through your pain, praying through your pain. You know, Pastor Roger Matthews and his family were on vacation. Even pastors take vacations. And being good Christians, they did not want to be out of church on Sunday. And so they were up in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. And the only church they could find to go to was a little country Methodist church. And it was a hot summer day. They didn't have air conditioning. The pastor was preaching, but everybody was falling asleep. I mean, there was a spirit of drowsiness on that congregation. And so the pastor finally said, everybody wake up. I've got a true admission to make. And people begin to stir and they begin to look at the pastor. He says, I've got something I want to tell you. The best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And they let out a gasp. A deacon in the back dropped his cell phone. Everybody was leaning forward to hear what he had to say. He said, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And he says, that woman was my mother. Well, Pastor Roger Matthews filed that away. He says, the next time I'm preaching and everyone falls asleep, I'm going to pull that out and tell that story. And so about a year went by, and sure enough, on a Sunday morning, he's preaching, and everybody's kind of kind of falling asleep. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull that, that story out that the Methodist pastor used. And he says, everybody, wake up, wake up. I've got a confession to make. The best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And then he had a memory lapse. He said, and for the life of me, I can't remember her name. Well, I've got a confession to to make to you this morning. The best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. That's my mother, Deanie Todd. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Glad we're here together. And happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies today. We're reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping and why don't you eat? And why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now let's just stop right there. Let me point something out. 
Elkanah is married to two women at the same time. That is called polygamy. God does not endorse polygamy. When God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he didn't create two wives for Adam. He created one wife for Adam. In fact, you know what? One woman's about all I can handle. I can only, you know what? I, I, I don't have the capacity to be married to more than one woman. And I'm not quite sure how this fellow did it. But the reason he had two wives is the Bible says that in the book of Judges, they were in a time of backsliding. The Bible says every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. And it was a moral lapse on this man's part. But he married Hannah, whom he loved. And Hannah could not have children. And he lived on a farm. And when you live on a farm, you need farm hands. You need people to work the farm. And he desperately needed children. And so he takes another woman to be his wife. Her name is Penina. Penina is, is a utilitarian wife. She is a birth mother only. He loves Hannah. He does not love this lady named Penina. Now let's pick it up at verse 9. Now, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor shall ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. And Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what, what you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Now, if you'd look in my direction, let me point some things out. This is a somewhat dysfunctional family. You've got a man that's married to two wives. The, the second wife is Penina. And Penina is filled with jealousy and she's got a contentious attitude and spirit towards Hannah. In fact, she delights in picking on Hannah and, and creating emotional distress in this other wife. Number two, you've got Penina. Penina loves the Lord. She loves her husband, but she's sad and depressed because she cannot have children. And then number three, you've got Elkanah, who's simply trying to keep peace in his dysfunctional home. And through the disappointment of Hannah's circumstances, we're going to learn some important truths for handling pain when it comes into our lives. Number one, here's the first point. Pain is part of life. I wish it wasn't.
I wish you and I still lived in the Garden of Eden. I wish we lived in a utopia. I wish we lived in a perfect place. But there's not a single person on the face of the earth who's not experiencing either some physical pain or some emotional pain. And the reason is because when Adam and Eve committed high treason, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, when they disobeyed God's Word, when they ate of the forbidden fruit, a sin principle came upon this earth. And Romans chapter 8 verse 2 identifies that sin principle for us. Paul calls it the law of sin and death. Now, we're here today because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and the law of death. But yet there is still a law of sin and death in this world, and that law of sin and death brings pain into our lives. In fact, think about this story. The three principal people are all in pain. Elkanah is in pain because his household is in turmoil. His polygamy has created stress and created tension. Everybody look at me. When you allow sin in your life, it'll take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll make you pay more than you want to pay. Sin creates misery. Number two, Penina is in pain. God has blessed her with children, but she's got a husband who does not love her. She knows that she's a utilitarian wife. She knows that her own only purpose in the home is to bear children, and she is upset, and she, she takes her upsetness. She takes her frustration out on Penina. She picks on Penina. She's trying to make her miserable. And, of course, we've got Hannah. I mean, Penina's picking on Hannah. And then we have Hannah who's in pain too because Hannah can't have children and because Penina keeps on picking on her. Penina keeps on making her life miserable. Everybody in this story has got some pain. And the question is, how does God want you and me to handle our seasons of pain? How does God want you and me to respond? Remember, this is a message about choice. So here's our second point today. Your deepest pain is often the pathway to God's greatest miracles and plans for you. Let me put it a different way. The trials that you experience are many times a pathway to breakthrough in your life if you will choose to respond in the right way. Look at verse 6. It says, this is talking about Hannah here. It says her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Now what does that mean? The Lord had closed her womb. God did not close her womb, did not withhold conception of children from her because he's arbitrary or because he's mean or because he wanted to punish Hannah. God withheld children from Hannah because God had some very specific plans for her yet to be conceived child because God knew that a leadership crisis was going to face the nation of Israel. He knew that Eli would soon die, the priest, and he knew that his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, could never succeed their dad because they were exceedingly wicked men. They were stealing from the offerings. They were sleeping with the women who were serving at the tent of meeting. And God knew that Israel was going to need a leader. And God withheld her ability to have children until she came to the place that she was willing to make a full commitment of her heart to God and give not only herself, but 
but her yet to be conceived child to the Lord. And once she got to that place, God says, okay, Hannah, this is a divine setup. I've set this up for you because I want to bless you. And everybody look at this preacher this morning. I want you to know today, every difficulty you go through, every trial and every place of suffering and every pain is really a divine setup because God is at work in ways you can't see. God says, hey, I'm going to do some things that you don't have in mind. I can see some things that you don't see. I can, I know what's around the corner. Oh, you right now, you're just, all you can see is your pain, your pain and more pain. But I'm telling you, I've got plans for you that are plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. But you've got to have the right kind of response. Remember, we're talking in this series about the power of our choices. What do you do when you've got pain in your life? How do you respond? I'm glad that Hannah responded with faith in God's character and in God's word. Everybody look at me. If you're going to make it through the trials and the difficulties and the pains of this world, then you're going to have to place your faith and your trust in the character of God and in the word of God when you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I think about the apostle Paul. He had that kind of confidence and that kind of faith to put his faith in a God that he couldn't see and that he couldn't always hear and that he couldn't always sense. But he says, God, I know that you are faithful and I know that your character is a character of goodness and I know your word will never fail me. Think about Paul. Here he is in Acts chapter 14. He's preaching the gospel. He It's used by God to heal a man that was lame from his mother's womb. And one minute the people at Lystra are praising him. And the next minute they're stoning him with stones. And the Bible says that Paul was stoned and left for dead. They thought he was gone. They thought he was dead. But Paul ended up stirring himself. And he was able to go on down the road to Derby with his preaching party. I believe that's the reason he wrote, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on you, he'll quicken your mortal bodies. Paul had literally experienced the quickening of the spirit of God in his life. I see Paul in Acts chapter 27. He's shipwrecked. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I was a day and a night out in the deep. I see Paul, you know, he had constant death threats everywhere he went. In fact, as soon as he became a believer, he's in Damascus. He's been a believer for three days. And the men of the city say, we're going to kill Paul. And they put a watch over the, the city gates. And so Paul had to be let down in a basket. I believe he had to be a small guy. I don't think I'd fit into a basket. Would you? And yet we find Paul saying, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God that are called according to his purpose. We find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. It's so hot that it kills the men that are throwing them in the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and he says, didn't we throw three men in, but I see four. And the fourth man looks like the son of God. I'm telling you, God makes everything work together for the good to those that love him that are called according to his purpose. I see Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. There's Daniel. All he's, his only sin is praying three times a day. 
He's now in the lion's den. Those lions are hungry. They're ferocious. But God shuts their mouths. And he comes out the next day. The king actually looks at him and says, Daniel, has God protected you? And he says, oh, long live the king. And he came on out. Why? Because we serve a God who takes what Satan means for harm. And he turns around and he works it together for your good. I see Joseph of old, sold as a slave in Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house and he's lied about. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. He's now in the deepest, darkest prison that they have in Egypt. Nobody knows that he's there. His family doesn't know that he's in Egypt. Nobody knows he's there. There's no Amnesty International. There's no one looking out for Joseph's good. But God gives him the interpretation of dreams and he's lifted up out of that prison Look at me. You may be in a prison today. You may be in dire circumstances. It may look like there's no hope for you, but I'm telling you, God knew how to lift Joseph up out of the prison and make him the number two man in Egypt. And God knows where you are and he's not forgotten about you. And he knows how to lift you up out of the miry clay. He knows how to put your foot upon a rock to stay. I'm telling you, God is a good God, but he's looking for our response of faith. When it doesn't look like anything is working out. Amen. I think about the pain that Paul must have gone through when he was locked in a Roman prison. Now think about this. He was in a Philippian jail just for a night and then God set him free. But we find later he's put into a Roman prison. First in Jerusalem, then Caesarea, then the city of Rome. And his imprisonment went on for year after year after year. And I've read that in the scripture and I thought, Lord... What a waste of his time. What a waste of his talent. He could have been out preaching the gospel. He could have been planting churches. But I forget that it's while Paul was in prison that he wrote the book of Ephesians. He's sitting in prison. He's in a difficult spot. But he writes to the Ephesians, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. He not only wrote the book of Ephesians, But he also wrote the book of Philippians. How many of you love Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us or strengthens me. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He wrote the book of Colossians while he was in that Roman prison. I love Colossians 1 verse 13, which says, it's Christ in you who is the hope of glory. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the holy of holies in the New Testament. The spirit of the living God dwells in you and it's Christ in you who is the hope of glory somebody say hallelujah it was while he was in that prison in rome that he wrote the book of second timothy second timothy chapter 2 verse 1 says my brethren be strong in the grace that is in our lord jesus christ be strong in the grace that is in our lord jesus christ i think about king david king david had a son named absalom And Absalom rebelled against David and chased him off the throne. There was civil war in Israel. And David runs off that throne. David, he runs out into the, to the woods. And he takes his, 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 some of his mighty men are with him to guard him. But he's running and he knows that Absalom's got the will of most of the people. And he doesn't know if he's going to live through the night. But you know what? We believe that's when David wrote Psalms 23, the Lord 
is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm telling you, when the devil comes to you and say, it's curtains, it's all over. Things are not going to work out. That's the time that we just need to proclaim and say, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's making me to lie down in green pastures. He's leading me beside the still waters. He's restoring my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil for God is with me. His rod and his staff, they are comforting me. He's preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dear ones, the next time you find yourself in pain, the next time you find yourself in difficulty, the next time you find yourself in a deep trial, I want you to remind yourself that God is preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will use those trials and those difficulties to be a feast for you if you'll respond with faith and say, God, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when, but I believe that you're bringing me through this. I know that you're at work and the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hallelujah. Folks, that was true for Hannah. Her problem and her pain was a setup by God. And some of you this morning, you're going through some things that are really a setup by God. God is setting you up for a miracle. He's setting you up for a breakthrough. He's setting you up for deliverance. And here's our third and final point this morning. Your response to your pain matters. Would you say that with me? Your response to your pain matters. The only way your deepest pain is going to become a pathway to God's greatest plan is if you have the right kind of response. That's where personal choice comes in. You know, take a look at Hannah's response in in, in verse 9. Let's look at that. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Now pay attention here to verses 10 and 11 especially. It says then, it says in verse 10, and she was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when you were part of the long night of the soul when you, you were in bitterness of heart and you wept in anguish and it just didn't seem like anything was going to work and the old devil's whispering in your ear, you might as well throw in the towel. Look at what she prayed, verse 11. She made a vow. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. I want to submit to you, this is what God was waiting on. God was not being mean to her. He was not punishing her. He just simply wanted to bring her to the place that she was willing to say, Jesus, I surrender everything. I give everything to you, Lord. I'm not going to hold back. I give you everything, Jesus. I even give you this child. 
I'm not yet conceived. And she even said, she says, no razor is going to come upon his head. What's that about? That was part of a Nazarite vow. She was saying, you know, the Nazarites, they didn't cut their hair. They didn't drink, uh, they didn't eat grapes or have the fruit of the vine. And they didn't touch anything dead. They lived a separated, sanctified, holy life to God. She says, Lord, if you'll give me this child, I'm going to separate him unto you. I'm going to give him unto you, Lord. He's going to be separated for your purposes. Glory to God. Now let's continue reading. Verse 12. It happened as she continued praying before the Lord. Everybody say, she continued praying before the Lord. Come on, say it. She continued praying before the Lord. What's that all about? I'm just suggesting to you that this wasn't a five-minute prayer. I'm suggesting to you when you're going to, if you're going to really work the pain out of your heart sometimes, it's going to be, it's going to be an intensive prayer and it's got to last a period of time because God has given us emotions and the wonderful thing about emotions is they can be great servants, but they're never to be our masters, okay? And if your emotions are not going to be your master, you've got to watch yourself because so, sometimes you might go to prayer and all you do is give your emotions a, 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 a good swimming lesson. And then you go away and you're not changed. See, prayer is more than just, just, just going over what's going on inside you. That's part of it. But then you gotta give it to God and you get, gotta get to a place of, of faith. And so she continued in prayer, verse 13. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. How's that for going to church? And the pastor thinks you've been drinking. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Then let's drop down to verse 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. What an example Hannah is for us. Folks, we used to use a phrase many years ago called praying through. It's where you take your burdens to the Lord. You cast all your care upon the Lord and you pray until you know that you've given that care. You've given that concern to the Lord. You haven't just talked about it. You just haven't griped and complained, but you've given it to the Lord and you're now moving in faith and there comes a peace that passes all understanding so as we wind this down and Norm come on to the keyboard if you will as we wind this down let me share with you some do's and don'ts when it comes to handling your pain number one don't pretend that you don't feel your pain women are better than men at this Women have been given. It's kind of culturally correct for women to cry on occasion. It's not so correct for men. And what happens, guys, for years I would feel pain at an emotional level and I would just push it down inside me and act like it wasn't there and try to keep on giving. I used to keep on going. I used to say, I don't have time for this pain. I don't have time to stare at my navel. I don't have time to consider these emotions. I'm just going to push it down. Every man, look at me. If you keep pushing your emotions down, ladies too, if you push your emotions down, at some point in time, they're going to come back up when you don't want them to. And they may come up as anger. They may come up as depression. Some of you say, I've been kind of melancholy. I've been kind of in despair and depressed. And I don't know why. It just might be because you've been pushing your emotions down. So don't pretend that you don't feel them. Number two, when you feel pain, do not make God your enemy. 
Don't make God your enemy. He's for you, not against you. Number three, don't you waste time and energy complaining to God and to other people. How many of you know people really don't want to hear your complaints? And it's okay to cast your cares upon the Lord, but when you pray, do more than just do that. Get into a place of faith. Number four, don't waste time and energy comparing yourselves to other people. Sometimes, look at me, sometimes I will experience pain. And you don't ever do this, I'm sure, but I do it sometimes. I'll start looking at other pastors in Tallahassee. And I'll think about Pastor so-and-so. Well, Lord, he... He hasn't gone through this. Why, look at what I've done and look what I'm going through. Folks, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, don't compare yourself to anybody but Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Don't compare yourself to anybody but Jesus. Number five, when you're in pain, do not become bitter, a bitter, angry disillusioned person with a poison thoughts and attitudes. I mean, that's what happened to Cain, the oldest son of Adam and Eve. You remember the Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 that the day came that Adam, Adam's children, Cain and Abel, brought their gifts to the Lord. And the Bible says God accepted Abel's gift, but he did not find Cain's gifts acceptable. And here's the reason. The Bible says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock The principle of the firstborn is throughout the Old Testament. Read Exodus chapter 13. You'll find over 15 times God saying the firstborn belongs to me. The firstborn belongs to me. Why? Because it took faith to give your firstborn little calf to the Lord as a sacrifice. Because you don't know if if your Guernsey cow is going to have another calf. It took faith. And God says without faith it's impossible to please me. The firstborn belongs to me. Well... Here's Abel bringing his firstborn, but here's Cain. He just says he just brought some of the fruit of his crops. He brought some of his crops. God's not pleased with just some of our crops. God's the the God of of the first crop. The very first of the harvest. The first fruits is what the Old Testament calls it. That means that the very first harvest that you get of your corn or your your apples or your pears or your oranges or your tangerines or strawberries, whatever it is, the first fruits belong to the Lord. Why? Because you don't know if you're going to have additional crops coming. You're giving up by faith. So here's Abel bringing the firstborn, but here's Cain bringing a very careless offering. Well, I'll just throw something in the plate here, try to appease God. The Bible says that God respected Abel's offering, but he didn't respect Cain's offering. And Cain got angry. In fact, God said to Cain, he says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. There are demon spirits crouching at the door, and they want to master you, but you can master them if you will. And Cain failed to do it, and he rose up, and he killed his brother Abel. I think about Absalom. Absalom, who killed his older brother And he thought he was just and had good cause to do it. Absalom, who rebels against his daddy, chases him off the throne. Absalom, whose heart was filled with bitterness and anger and resentment. Absalom, who so desperately needed God's grace, ends up dying, hung by the hair of his head in a terebinth tree. It's so sad. Let me share with you some things to do when you are in pain. When you're in pain, be honest about it. 
Number two, when you're in pain, take your pain to God in genuine, fervent, continued prayer. It's it's not enough just to pray many times, at least for me. It's not enough for me to pray a three or four minute prayer. I've got to press into God and I've got to give that thing to God. Let me tell you something that happened to me just in the last week. Most all of you know that last week we said goodbye to Pastor Ryan and Pastor Andrea Kramer. We lost our administrative and media pastor, and we lost our worship pastor. Thank God for Brother Norm. Thank God for our team. They're doing a great job for us. Amen? They really are. Thank God for them. That's it. Come on. Give them a big hand. Well, we started ever, ever since Ryan came and told me on March 7th that it looked like they would take become pastors of this church in Seattle. And so we began advertising both of these positions. And we probably, I don't know, we probably have 50 to 70 resumes that have been sent in so far. And we had three weeks ago, I received a resume from someone in California. And the, what caught my attention is I knew these people. Normally I would say, well, the West Coast is just too far away. But I knew this family and I knew they were good, good people. And I was praying about it. And I thought, you know what? I want to get, go out and just meet these people. And I knew that if I was going to do it, I had to le- do it before Ryan and Andrea left. So the week before they left, I got on a plane and went out to California. Now, you say, that's kind of expensive, Pastor. It is. And so I used my personal American Airlines points that I had so it wouldn't cost the church anything in case it didn't work out. So I went out there. And I spent two days with his family, and I just fell in love with him. Because this guy had applied for the administrative media pastor, but he's also a worship pastor. And Norm and I listened to an album he had done, and Norm and I agreed, hey, this guy could come in and be an interim worship leader for us until we, and, and let us continue looking for one. This would be fantastic. So I spent two days with him. And the reason I did that is because the old adage is that before you hire somebody, you need to take them camping for a week. How many of you know you get to know somebody when they're camping? You get to figure out, hey, is our chemistry working together? What are they like, you know, when everything's going good? And what are they like under pressure? Well, I went out and spent two days with them just to try to figure out if we wanted to invite them to come out here and and interview with us. And the answer was yes. And they assured me that they wanted to come out this next week and be here. And I talked to them. Coming back, guys, it took me 30 hours to fly back from California because of storms in the Midwest. I left, I was supposed, I left uh, Fresno, California at noon and I was supposed to land in Dallas, catch a flight to Tallahassee and be in Tallahassee by nine o'clock that night. I got to Tallahassee at three o'clock the next day. They ended up routing me back through, I had to go back to the Pacific Coast time, back to Phoenix and then to Charlotte. The only good thing is I got to see Byron and Catherine and Braden and Aubrey for 30 minutes while I was in, while I was in Charlotte. I finally got home on Saturday at three o'clock. I didn't smell so good. I didn't look so good. Here's the truth. I was so glad Ryan was preaching last Sunday because I was a tired puppy having, I didn't sleep at all on Friday night. But I thought, Lord, it's worth it. I'm glad they're going to come out and interview with us. We'll see if, 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 if this seems good to the Holy Spirit and to all of us. And then on Tuesday, got an email. Pastor Terrell, thank you so much for taking the time to come out and meet us. We love you, and we think we would love you, church. But we feel like we're just supposed to stay where we are for the time being. And everything inside me just wanted to scream, Ah! 
It was painful. I was driving down the road and I read the email when I was at a red light. And it was one of those emails you just don't want to finish, you know, you think, oh no. And I waited till I got home that night. And I just went back to the bedroom and I just laid on the carpet by the bed. And I just said, Jesus, this hurts. I'm hurting. I'm hurting because I'm missing Ryan and Andrea. Lord, I'm glad you've opened this door in Seattle for them. I'm happy for them, but God, I'm hurting for us. And God, I'm I'm just hurting. Lord, I, I thought this was your answer. And I kept giving that hurt to the Lord. And it wasn't a five-minute prayer. It wasn't a 10-minute prayer. I probably prayed for 45 minutes as I was on my face. I prayed to the place until I started to find myself thinking about Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I declare and confess to you that God has got the best administrative and media pastor in the world for Evangel Assembly of God, and he's got the best worship pastor in the world for Evangel Assembly of God. He's not forgotten about us. I'm glad that couple said no, because obviously they're not the right people, and we're not looking for just warm bodies. We're looking for the people that God calls to be here. Hallelujah. Somebody say glory to God. Mm. What do you do when you're hurting? Enlist the help of others who know how to pray. Number four, remember the Holy Spirit is your helper. He'll help you if you ask Him to. If you'll wait patiently for His help. Number five, surrender your will to God's will. Let go of control of your life. That was the issue for Hannah. God wanted to bring her to the place that she was willing to give her unconceived child to the Lord for His purposes. That's really what God wants from you and me. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to give all of yourself to me? Are you going to say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go and I'll do what you want me to do and I'll say what you want me to say and I'll be who you want me to be. Lord, I'm not going to be wise in my own opinion trying to figure everything out, but I'm going to trust you, Lord. Number six, what do you do when there's pain in your life? You trust God's nature, His promises, His ways, and His timing. Number seven, you keep on living and giving. Let's look at verse... um, 20, there we go. Some of you say, I didn't write all those down. We've got about 20 or 25 copies of this sermon outline at at the uh, Connection Center. If you want all those points, just stop by the Connection Center and they'll they'll get one for you. Let's read this aloud and loudly. Come on, because this is the whole crux of what this message has been about. It says, so in the course of time. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Come on. Let's take the, let's raise these, these tiles off the ceiling. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked him for the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. Her deepest pain was a pathway to God's greatest plan and God's greatest miracle. And I'm telling you that your deepest pain is really God's pathway to a miracle and to a breakthrough and to plans that you've not even thought of yet. Somebody say hallelujah. But here's the deal. She had to do the right thing with her pain. She had to do the right thing 
with her pain. I'm going to say it again. She had to do, it wasn't magic. She had to respond to God with humility and saying, Jesus, I give you everything. I surrender everything to do you. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.